You are listening to Between the Leaves at the Lloyd, a monthly podcast that unearths stories inspired by the collections of the Lloyd Library and Museum, located in downtown Cincinnati. spaces in nature where time seems to stand still. Places where quiet and life coexist, connected by breezes and by the hum of insects busily cycling through microscopic lives that support us all. My name is Elissa Yancey, and as I walk through the Cincinnati Nature Center in Claremont County, I know I'm in one such place. Here, on trails forged by local scientists, preservationists, and landowners, it's easy to understand the passion that drove their advocacy. Here, in this 1,700 acres of forests, fields, streams, and ponds, each deep breath brings reminders of our interdependent ecosystems. Many of the Nature Center's founders and earliest members were also members of the Lloyd Library and Museum in Cincinnati. I recently visited the home of one of them, Devere Burt, who moved to Cincinnati in the 1970s to become the first Nature Conservancy employee in the state of Ohio. The Nature Center's protected lands holds a special place in Burt's heart. He not only lived in the farmhouse across from its main entrance, he met his wife Pat because of his connection to this place. Bert and Pat now live in the Mount Washington home where Brockschleiger often house-sat for E. Lucy and Annette Brown, trailblazing scientists in their own right who inspired generations of conservationists. They called their home Brownwood, and by the time Bert first visited, Lucy had already died and Annette, in her 90s, was still busy with her research and in need of help with transportation. Bert explains what happened from there. Lucy drove and Annette didn't. So when Lucy was no longer able to drive, Annette was in a dilemma. She lived here. There was a little grocery store in the corner that would deliver her groceries. But if she had a doctor's appointment or something like that, she had to scramble and ask her friends. Well, they were, they were here and they were abundant, but didn't bother me a bit. I was happy. I was a single father at that point and had a great caregiver with my son. So I could be a little bit late if I, if I needed to be so I could spend time with her. Those were great days. Those were really wonderful days. She was a great woman. But Annette Brown was more than a great woman. She was a great scientist, one who had spent decades studying moths whose larvae make their homes and live the first part of their lives inside, yes, inside layers of leaves. They are known as leaf miners because of the tiny trails they eat through their hosts. The only way to tell them apart is by examining their reproductive parts, and that takes a dissecting microscope. In her life, Annette Brown identified more than 350 species of them. She was fabulous. You know, she, where Lucy dealt with these grand landscapes and became a very popular person because of the the beauty of what she was talking about, and her science was great, and uh, Annette was more introverted. She's studying these tiny little microlepidopterans, and they're well-named. They are micro. (laughs) They are tiny little butterflies that lay their eggs on particular plant species. The eggs hatch, and the larvae burrow into the inside of the leaf, and they become leaf, what are called leaf miners. I have to be honest. 
I didn't get the attraction of these micro critters, even after watching videos of them munching and pooping their way through different leaves. What on earth do these microlepidoptera do that's so important? Why are there so many citizen scientists enthralled by them? I asked experts, I asked Bert, you have to see them, everybody told me. So my friend and I headed to the Cincinnati Nature Center and we decided to hike the Upland Trail. And that's when something unexpected happened. It was before I turned my gaze up to the massive old growth forest canopy. It was before I saw streaks of summer sunshine filter into spotlights on the branches spread around me. In fact, I wasn't more than a half dozen steps on the trail before something on a nearby leaf caught my attention. There it was, the pathway of a microlepidoptera on a leaf. I could tell right away that that single leaf, the size of the palm of my hand, had been home to multiple larvae. Their squiggly trails were no bigger than a sesame seed or two, but yet they represented life within life within life. They were all around me, and yet I'd never truly seen them before, except when I figured they were dead parts of smooth green leaves. Finally, I could begin to understand what the fuss was all about and what had motivated Annette Brown her entire life. She was a world authority. She probably knew more about leaf miners than anyone in the world, and I don't doubt that there's no one else in the world today that knew as much as Annette did in her day. She identified over 300 species of them during her lifetime. She was so well-respected that she took on leadership positions, including the presidency of the Ohio Entomological Society, after becoming the first woman to earn a PhD at the University of Cincinnati, way back in 1911. Still, Annette, like the tiny species that captivated her and her life's work, remained mostly invisible to the public. I had no idea of her prominence. I had no idea other than I just admired her devotion and the, the, uh, the passion she had for that subject and how much she knew about it. When she started talking to her, she was just endless. She was an encyclopedia of information about those little creatures that, you know, before I met her, I had no idea they were even there. <laughs> Annette Brown had loved moths and field work since she was a young woman. She and Lucy traveled tens of thousands of miles to collect specimens from across the country. Lucy, as a botanist and plant ecologist, focused on the leaves and blooms. Annette collected larvae and moths. Didn't matter what the weather was like, if they could get there, they were, they were out. The work was overlapped in terms of the botanical side of it. I'm sure that Lucy helped Annette with plant identification, although Annette was quite good after being with her all, that, all those years and seeing all the rare things that Lucy could find, she could sniff out. Annette not only collected moths, she helped scientists from around the world identify species that had stumped them. Devere Burt remembers her attention to detail, teeny tiny detail, that he saw firsthand as she drew larger-than-life illustrations of them, freehand. Her artwork was yeah. remarkable, and she didn't want to change. I, bought her, I once bought her a set of rapidograph ruling pens, which are used to make uh, blueprints and uh, analytically precise drawings. And she wanted no part of it. In fact, she refused to accept them. <laughs> They're upstairs. <laughs> 30 years later, 40 years later. And she used these little subtle ink washes, too, which she would treat the India ink with water and dilute it and lay on these beautiful layers of wash. She used a croquil pen 
and the artistry of her work is demonstrated by her proficiency with that pen. Now, the width of the line generated by the pen is based upon the pressure you put on the point. The more pressure, the broader the width. So you could get a very artistic flourish out of a long line that suggests, actually suggests what's going on there in the anatomy of the, whatever she's drawing. This was all done freehand. No, no French curves, no nothing, all done freehand through a dissecting scope. And this is a minuscule little thing that she's looking at in the scope. It probably is an eighth inch across the wing spread. I mean, it's tiny. It's absolutely tiny. And she produced these elegant, beautiful drawings of the adults and the larvae. And uh, she was 90 years old when she did the last one. And she, she wanted me to see it. She was just struggling here. And it was just shortly before uh, she was put in the nursing home because she couldn't take care of herself long. She fell on these stairs and broke her hip. That ended Brown Woods. She, she brought, I saw it. And she, it was spectacular. And it was so precise and so beautiful. And I looked through the dissecting scope and I'm looking at a beautiful replica of the wing of this tiny little, little creature that she had generated freehand. And it was all correct. I mean, the, the actual menstrual parts of it were correct. And she, would, she told me, I, I sketch it in a real light pencil. Then I, I go across the sketch with the ink, let the ink dry and remove the pencil. And then I fill in the interior of the wing with the crow quill. I put all the detail, all the little individual scales that are on the wing. Oh, my God. Jeez, the patience. Oh, unreal. And she loved every one of them. Every one of them was special, you know. Every one of them was hers. Every one of them she named. Every one of them she described. And, uh, you know, the last one was just beautiful. Just beautiful. The house that the sisters affectionately named Brownwood was more than just a studio for Annette. In the experimental garden she created with her sister, Annette knew every plant, including when it would bloom and what birds would visit it. When she was in the nursing home, she managed to get the room closest to Sutton Avenue with a window, and she could see the tops of the trees here. She could see the canopy over the house and over Brown Woods from her bedroom at the nursing home. And we visited frequently, and every time we went up, she'd give us a list of blooming plants and tell us where they were. And we'd come home and, man, 99% of the time, she was right. So we had, the, we had the most fun. And then we'd, the next trip, we'd say, we found them all. They're there. They're doing fine. Annette's botanical roots, like those of her sister, took shape early in their lives when they lived in Walnut Hills. Their mother, a teacher and accomplished amateur botanist and illustrator, made sure of it. Oh, she had a tremendous influence on them. She took them into the woods. She was, I think she instilled the love of nature in them. As young girls, they were given two begonias and they were um, given uh, the responsibility of caring for them. Mother said, I'm not, I'm not taking care of these. These are your responsibility to care for. And the girls nurtured and cared for them all their lives and brought them to Brown's brown woods and they were here when when both of them passed we have them both and we have taken cuttings off of them and in fact we have cuttings going right now annette's focus fueled her brilliance at brownwood annette and lucy built a life where the lessons of nature including the tiny leaf miners took priority over all else the second floor uh it contained her collection 
beautiful cherry cabinets, which are still up there. And they were handmade, and they housed her 30,000 specimen collection of microlaps. There was no TV. There may have been a radio, but I don't even remember seeing a radio. They had slide projectors, and when they entertained, they entertained in here, and they ate in the formal dining room, and the table was so small that I couldn't get my legs under it. It fit them fine, but I couldn't get under the table. (laughs) Uh, They would come in here, and they, they had beautiful Victorian furniture. It was spectacular. It was just beautiful. And they would, I guess, put a, a projector in that corner and they'd have a dinner party. And then everybody would adjourn here. And there would be some kind of a program about their travels or about the edge or about something else that they were working on. And that was the evening. And it always ended that way with the program. And that's where it happened. There was no music. <laughs> There was, there was no music in their lives, I don't think. I, I never saw anything that would suggest they were interested in anything other than the science and nature. For Annette, whose keen eye and steady hand could illuminate intricate details of hidden worlds, the nature around her was entertaining enough. She had Dutch doors in the kitchen, and she'd open the top door. When I'd come to get her, the door would be open. And she was listening all the time. Yeah, it was... Uh, the beautiful life they had. They really did. Thanks for listening to Between the Leaves at the Lloyd, a monthly podcast of the Lloyd Library and Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. Interview and story by Elissa Yancey. Audio editing and mixing by Samantha Gatsik. Between the Leaves is launched with support from a Photo Focus Emergency Art Grant. Want to learn more about the Lloyd and its collections? You can visit online anytime at lloydlibrary.org.